continuing our study through John. Uh, if you're, um, and if I just let me just say this also, if you are, uh, if you're going to the nursing home today, Bayshore Health Center, we're really trying to aim there to be there by 1:15. They have to check us in, do a health screening, take our temperature, make sure you don't have cooties, and uh, then they'll, you know, we're going to go in there and try to be able to start by around 1:30. And I don't imagine it going beyond be able to walk out by around two o'clock. So it's short and sweet, just trying to be a blessing there. So just keep that in prayer, and if you're going, just keep that time in mind. All right, John chapter 13. I told you right, and the thumb is still up. Yes. Okay, John chapter 13, turn turn down by verse number 10 if you're down there. And uh, we've been looking over this for a few weeks now, and I'm going to try to finish some of it up today. Uh, But um, John chapter 13, verse 10, Jesus Christ is in that upper room, amen? He's talking to his disciples, amen? And uh, he says to them, he's washing their feet, and Peter's like, no, 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 I don't want you to wash my feet. And uh, in verse 10, Jesus saith to him, meaning Peter, he that is washed needeth not Save to wash his feet. So he said, okay, Peter, right, there's two washings. We've talked about this. And we've been looking at those two washings in the disciples' life. One makes you washed from your sins, and the other one kind of washes your walk. Uh, And if you've been washed from your sins, you don't need to get saved all over again. You just need to kind of get those feet washed to keep your walk going in the right direction. And we talked about how these two washings point to these two aspects of sanctification that a disciple must experience. And sanctification is just that process of being cleaned up and set apart for God. And a disciple has to have both sanctifications. He has to get his soul set apart for God. He needs to have his soul washed so that he goes from lost to saved. Amen. But he also then has to get his feet washed so he can keep his walk clean and keep himself unspotted from the world. So that way he has a testimony and an impact on the world around him. Because he's a tool and God doesn't like to pick up dirty tools. If you had a bunch of tools, if you had to go do something, turn a screw or something like that, put something in, you're not going to reach for that, that hammer that's been sitting in the sludge when you get a nice pristine hammer that's kept nice, ready for use. And you're the tool. So if you're saved and you're part of God's kind of tool chest, so to speak, he wants you to keep yourself clean so that when he reaches for you, he doesn't see you all caked over with the gunk of this wicked world. Amen? Now look at verse 7. Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do, thou knowest not now what thou shalt know hereafter. He's saying, you guys may not get the picture now, but he's saying, if you are Jesus Christ's disciple, if you really want to follow me, I'm expecting you to understand this picture down the road. Guess what? We're down the road now. We have the full revelation of the mystery that God was doing in this thing called the church. We're supposed to understand these two washings because if you never get the picture, you're going to make a mess of your Bible and you're going to make a mess out of your walk with God. I promise you, if you fail to understand these two aspects of sanctification, you end up in one of two errors, two extremes. You will either think, that you are working your way to heaven and what you do gets you to heaven and that you can lose your salvation because you got to keep it up, keep it up, keep it up and maybe then you'll die in a state of grace and God will accept you, hopefully, but you can never be sure. That would be one extreme. The other extreme is you think, oh... (laughs) I don't need to repent anymore. I don't need to deal with sin anymore. I don't need to consecrate myself anymore. I'm good. I'm saved. I'm good. Right? Those are two extremes. The truth is right in the middle. 
And if you go over here too far, you're going to end up going to hell because you're going to think you need to work your way to heaven when God says it's not by works of righteousness, right? But if you're over here thinking, oh, Jesus paid it all. I trusted him as my savior. You know what you do then if you go on that extreme? You make your life a living hell because they can't tell you from a lost person because you're living like a pig. The truth is right in the middle. You are saved, signed, and delivered by Jesus Christ. But guess what? Now you're supposed to clean up your walk so God can do something with you. Two sanctifications, two washings. One God does, one you got to let him do to you. So to avoid being ashamed, right, to avoid ending up on either one of those two extremes that are errors, you got to rightly divide the word of truth. All right? There are two washings in a disciple's life, two sanctifications. The first washing is by the blood of Christ when you get saved. Are you saved? <laughs> the second washing is by the book of Christ when you get serious. When you start to take your salvation seriously, then you start cleaning up your act. The first washing sanctified your soul cleaned it up, and set it apart for God. The second washing sanctifies your life. The first washing gives you positional sanctification. The second washing gives you practical sanctification. The first washing put you in Christ. It was a moment like the birth of a child is one day on the calendar. The second washing perfects Christ in you. That's a process. That's training up a child in the way he should go. And that, moms and dads are going to say amen, takes a lifetime. No matter how big they are or how old they get, you still worry about them. Amen. First washing gives you a standing and a position as God's son. Hallelujah. Second washing is about your state and your condition as God's servant. First washing is heavenly and eternal. It happened once and it's never going to happen again. Second washing is earthly. It's temporal. It's something you got to do every day, every moment, maybe even every minute. First sanctification from that first washing is based on Christ's work on the cross. It is finished. Second washing is the Christian's work of bearing his cross. Two washings. Things that are different are not the same. you got to rightly divide the word of truth. So they're two different washings. They're two different sides of sanctification. But they're both accomplished by the same Holy Spirit. Amen. And that's what we're going to talk about today. How the Holy Spirit helps you on both sides. Whether it's saving your soul or saving your life, you need the Holy Spirit's ministry to you and through you. So let's have a word of prayer and we will jump in. Lord, we love you today. We thank you and we just praise you for all these folks here and and just hopefully, Lord, eager hearts, hungry to hear your word and learn something. And Lord, as we go into doctrine and understand maybe some truths about the Christian life and and standing in state, Lord, I pray we get some practical nuggets, Lord, that might help us live differently, act differently, and be a more effective minister. Be the disciples you wanted us to be, dear God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want you to turn in your Bible to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians is a Pleasure to see you all this morning, 2 Thessalonians. 
We have some of our folks in the Arctic, um, up in Speculator, New York. They're coming down today or later on today. Uh, I had a little bit of a retreat there with some folks from Staten Island, and they're humming down. And it was negative 22 yesterday up there with a real feel of negative 46. I said, well, 10 degrees in Matawan doesn't feel so bad right now. So <laughs> they're going to come down here and think it's summer. But anyway, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, somebody said it was really warm in the cafeteria yesterday. We had a good time. I said, yeah, I had a good time too. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 13. Uh, here's what I want to say, and I got one big point here. The Holy Spirit who really is everything to the New Testament church, by the way. He's like, you could call the church really the administration of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that puts us in Christ and guides us. I mean, the Holy Spirit, I mean, Pastor Mel used to say that if you took the Holy Spirit out of 75% of what churches are doing, the stuff would just keep right on going and nobody would know the difference. I'd like to know the difference that if the Holy Spirit kind of withdrew himself from here, I'd like to be able to feel that difference and say, Lord, where are you? (laughs) Hopefully you don't lose connection with God. Hopefully you're as acutely aware of your connection with God and his Holy Spirit as you are to your connection to your glowing rectangle in your pocket that has its Wi-Fi or its 5G or whatever else is messing around with you, right? Hopefully you understand and can sense when God is with you and when God is stepping away from you and you never want to feel the other one. You always want to know that God is with you and his presence is with you. If you never felt that, you don't know what that's like, get into your Bible more and you'll start to know when God is with you and you'll be like, wow, God, you're not with me. All right, I got to get back to you. And the Holy Spirit did the first washing when you got saved. And the Holy Spirit does the second washing when you get into the scriptures. It's that simple. You need the Holy Spirit in all aspects of your Christian life. He starts it and he helps you finish it. Now look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And he's just come through 12 verses of stuff I don't want to get into. Uh, It's too heavy and too hot and too too much to handle right now. But he kind of turns around in verse 13 and says, but, in verse 12 he's talking about people that don't want the truth, but he says, but we are bound to give thanks all way to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. You know what that verse says apart what you heard somebody say it means on the internet? You know what that verse really says? That verse says that God's Holy Spirit sets apart, saves, i.e. sanctifies whosoever believes the gospel truth. That's what God decided from the beginning. God said, hey, anybody that believes the gospel truth, my Holy Spirit's going to save that person and set that person aside and move that person from the lost category to the saved category. Now, if you watch too much YouTube, you see a lot of people take that verse and say, oh no, that verse means that God predestinated people from the beginning and God picked Joe to go to heaven and Susan to go to hell and there's nothing they could do because God is... Sovereign, right? That's not what it's saying at all. If the verse ended with, God has chosen you to salvation, then I could say you have a point. But that's not what the verse says. Be careful when people tell you what it means without showing you what it says. I'm showing you what it says. It says, God has chosen you from the beginning to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. You know what God predestinated and foreordained? The vehicle of salvation, not the passengers to salvation. 
He said, I decided that whoever believes the truth, my Holy Spirit is going to sanctify that person and put that person into Christ. God is predestinated, so to speak, or foreordained, so to speak, the vehicle, the way, the means to salvation, not the passengers for salvation. Okay, so don't get caught up in that. But you got to say to yourself, wow, that's pretty wild. How does God do that? I mean, how is God going to put you into a spiritual body that started getting formed at the cross 2,000 years ago? Here you are sitting in Madawan, Aberdeen right now, and you get saved. And how does God take you sitting here right now and, uh, and put you in this spiritual organism called the body of Christ? I mean, that's a pretty wild thing if you think about it. You don't need wormholes or rifts in the space-time continuum, or time travel to get back there, or anything else like that. It's not your willpower. A spiritual body requires a spiritual birth. God borns you into that family and uses a Holy Spirit to take you from where you are and put you into Christ. Go to Titus chapter 3. I'll show you. Go to Titus chapter 3. Again, it's a lot of doctrine, I know, but it's good to know why you believe what you believe. If you don't know what you believe, then when somebody comes and knocks on your door with a little magazine, they may get you. (laughs) You know who they prey on? They prey on people that profess Christ. They love you because they know most Christians don't know their Bible better than their phone. (laughs) And they'll just get you, you know. Some kid will roll up, 19 years old, call himself Elder Joe. He's like, looks like he just learned how to shave. And he's going to sit up there and say, you know, I'm going to, you know, you want to come by? We really take care of the family. That sounds good. And you go take care of the family and you, you get on the back of their bicycle and you go down there and you go to the ward or to the, to the place and you sit down there and they got all these pictures of Joe Smith and this guy over here and that one over there. And it seems like, wow, they're big family people and that sucks you in because you don't know the Bible. Or somebody comes up and says, you know, holding up this little magazine that said with these nice little pictures and says, you know, are you worried about the problems of the world? Do you know God hates death and all these wonderful hooks that they get into you? And you say, yeah, would you like a Bible study? Can we just show you that, you know, Jesus was really just Michael the archangel? You know, and most of you wouldn't even know where to start. And that's a travesty because Christians are supposed to know what they're supposed to know. So on Sunday mornings, yeah, we try to get the saved saved. But you know what my goal is here today? For you Christians to kind of get your sea legs so you know what you're supposed to know so nobody can knock you over by any wind of doctrine that you won't get tossed to and fro. And he says right there in Titus chapter 3, Paul's talking about the unsaved life. He says, we ourselves also were sometimes foolish disobedient, I didn't expect too many amens, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Isn't that a great estimation and summation of what the lost world is like? I mean, they're just crazy. They're just crazy. I mean, Chris is telling me about something that happened in his neighborhood this week. You know, an assembly woman gets gunned down in her car that's some crazy stuff, man. That's crazy stuff. You know, you just stay at the light a second too long. Like, they're going to, like, they're ready to kill you. It's like, I'm sorry, I, I breathed. You didn't hit the gas fast enough. And this guy, it happened to me this week. I'm at a yellow, and it turned red, and I was supposed to jump the light, and he wasn't happy. So, and he's giving me the face like this in the rearview mirror. And I looked right back at him. I said, oh, I can't you know, people, I'm going to get myself in trouble with that. I got to stop. But you know, people are just so, uh, they're just angry and violent and vicious. And that's how we all were before Christ. That's what he's saying. He says, but isn't a great, great, but, but after that, 
the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, unmerited favor, undeserved kindness, we should be made a court heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This first washing is called the washing of regeneration. That was applied by the Holy Ghost, the, spiritual, the Spirit of God, when you believed on Jesus Christ, our Savior. It was shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Why'd you need that washing? Because you were dirty and dead in sins, but the Holy Spirit washed you with the blood of Christ and gave you life. The washing of regeneration. God put the power back in there that Adam lost in the beginning. God gave you life again when you were dead in trespasses and sins. I can see how excited you are about that. But I'll keep, I'll keep, I'm just getting warmed up. I'll keep on keeping on. It's okay. School's tomorrow at first period. I can do it. All right. You know, before I was saved, I got recruited by, by a cult. Some of you think this is a cult because you don't read your Bible. But um, I got recruited by a real cult. All right. Uh, this, it was called the Church of Christ. Sounds really, really good. And they were on me, man. I had a guy that was really working on me, and I was, uh, you know, just a religious fellow who didn't know anything about anything, and I wanted to know what the truth was, and I'd go to this guy's house, and I went to the pastor's house, and I went to the Bible studies, and the pastor sat down and put his hand on me and just said, oh, brother, you got to join. You got to sign up. If you sign up, other people will follow you because you got influence of people. And I just said, okay. And they told me at this cult that I got contact with the blood of Christ. I could only contact the blood of Christ to wash my sins away when I got in the water. So I had to go to this guy's house and I'd get in his pool and they would dunk me. And when I went under the water, then I would contact the blood of Christ and get my sins washed away. And I sat there and I was like, but years later, as I talked to other people in that cult, I would say, what about the thief on the cross? And I had this one guy that I worked with who was a Church of Christ elder, and he tried to, you know, he's trying to win me to this thing and blah, blah, blah. And I said, listen, David, his name was, I said, listen, what if I was an astronaut? And I'm up there in outer space, and there's no water. And the Holy Spirit convicts me, and I'm like, man, i got to get saved right now. My ship's not going to make it back to earth. Like, what am I going to do? I can't get in any water. How do I contact the blood of Christ? He looked at me like a turkey about to be served on Thanksgiving. He was just like... Well, well, you know, God can do whatever God wants to do. Like, that was his answer. So I said, well, I know what God wants to do. God wants to save you by faith, not by works of righteousness. When you put that faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in and washes you and applies the blood that was shed 2,000 years ago to your dirty soul and regenerates your dead soul so that you can have eternal life by faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit's all in there. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You know what, uh, you know what that Church of Christ people were all about? They were all about baptism. They were all about baptism. Hey, man, you got to get baptized. You don't get baptized. You don't get... I felt like I was in an auction. Got to get baptized. Everybody get baptized. Got to get baptized. Hey, over here. We got to get baptized over there. It was like, man, it was everything. It was like, that was everything. I had to get baptized. If I wasn't baptized, you know, just being baptized. If I didn't get baptized, I was lost. 
I was anathema to them if I didn't get baptized. And I thank God that even as an unsaved whatever I was, I had enough sense that God gave me to be like, how is this different than the church I'm coming from? (laughs) You want me to get baptized? I just came from a church that said I had to get baptized. You want me to confess my sins to you? I just came from a church that said I confessed my sins to a person. I said, this ain't different than anything I'm already a part of. What am I going to join your club? And uh, it is a baptism that puts you into Christ. It's just not a baptism of water. It's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13. The Bible says, For by one Spirit, capital S, that's God's Spirit, are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and been all made to drink into one spirit. It was a baptism that put you in Christ, but it wasn't water. It was the Holy Spirit. There isn't water in either that chapter in either direction, in both chapters in either direction. You could read a whole, almost that entire book in there, and he's talking about water in chapter 12, 13, 14, 9, 10. He's not talking about water about a spiritual operation, a spiritual event, a spiritual thing God did. He says, we all, are you saved? Then you're in that we all. You know that we all of 1 Corinthians 12 included the carnal babies of chapter 3, the ones that were not living right. They were in that we all. That we all included the fornicating man of chapter 5. You say, how can that be? Because we're talking about positional sanctification. We're talking about salvation of your soul that's based on Christ's work, not your work. Don't mix them up. Now go to chapter 6 of the same book. Go to chapter 6 of the same book. Now we've read this verse a few times the last couple of weeks, so I'm not going to read it again, but I will uh, just give you verse 11. He talks about who you were before Christ, uh, fornicator and idolater and adulterer, etc. In verse 11 he says, And such were some of you, past tense, but ye are washed, praise the Lord, but ye are sanctified, there's the position, praise the Lord, but ye are justified, there's the legal declaration that you are now righteous before God in the name of the Lord Jesus, and watch it, and by the Spirit of our God. All that happened, the washing, the justification, all the things God did to take you out of Adam and put you into Christ was done by the Spirit of God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you called on that magnificent name that we sang about, the Holy Spirit said, whoop, I got a job to do. Whoop, picks you up out of Adam and puts you in Christ and seals you unto the day of redemption. Now, the Bible talks about in Colossians chapter 2, the faith of the operation of God. You know, thankfully, God knew what he was going to do for you when you didn't have any idea. You know that? God, there was a faith built into the operation of God. That God knew he was going to do this spiritual operation on every sinner that called on Jesus Christ, even though they didn't understand it. About a month ago, my wife had shoulder surgery. And you know what happens when you get surgery. I had to sign something. I was signing stuff all the time for my son. Every spinal tap, I had to sign a consent. You know, I just had to give my consent. My wife gave consent. My wife didn't exactly know what the surgeon was going to do. She just gave consent. She said, okay, I will let you do that. I will yield to your will. I will give what you want to give. I trust you, doc. But the surgeon knew what he was going to do. And the surgeon even told my wife after she came out of surgery, I did some stuff I didn't even tell you about to make it better for you. And guess what? When you called on Jesus Christ, God saw what his spirit would do for the sinner. 
God knew what his spirit would do for you, all that intricate operation. All he's looking for you to do is just give consent. I trust you. I trust you, Lord. I trust you. And then his spirit says, do they sign the papers? Do they give consent? Okay, good. I can go. Let's go. And he goes in there and he does that operation made without hands. And he does all this stuff that you don't know. That's a blessing. Can you go to Romans 8? I'm telling you, man, that Holy Spirit is everything we're a part of. That's that's Christ's spirit. He said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. He is that comforter. It's his spirit. Look at Romans 8. Look at Romans 8. Hurry with me to Romans 8, chapter 7. Romans 8, verse 7. I'm sorry. Romans 8, verse 7. The Bible says this. Romans 8, 7. If you're there, say amen. amen. I shouldn't have started doing that auction thing because now I just feel like, hey, everybody, everybody, everybody. Romans 8, Romans 8, right here. Romans 8, right there. All right, Romans 8. This is how my mind works. I free associate. So there's a thousand voices in my head right now. Just pray that God's wins. All right, Romans 8, verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now watch this. But ye, that's all of you Christians, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Are you saved? If you're saved, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit has taken you out of Adam, the flesh, and put you into Christ, the body of Christ, that spiritual organism. And if the Holy Spirit puts you into Christ, you are not in the flesh anymore as far as God's concerned. Whoa, that's heavy. Some of you are like, how can that be? I don't exactly know it either because I'm looking at you in the flesh. We're talking to each other in the flesh. If I walk over and pinch your flesh, you're going to go, what are you doing, stupid? And hit me, right? We're walking in the flesh. But remember, the first washing is positional sanctification. It's about something that God sees. It's about a standing before God and a legal status as a son before God. You've been taken out of Adam and put into Christ. By the Holy Spirit. Can you go to Romans 8, verse 1 now? Now, Romans 8 is all about a new beginning for the believer. 8 is the number of new beginning. So here's how you make a new beginning as a believer. Ready? Romans 8, verse 1. Watch this. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath past tense made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Why? That the righteousness of the law might be conditional, fulfilled in us, who, there it is again, walk, not, what am I saying? Not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You know what he's saying right there? He's talking about your walk and your standing and your walk, and he's going back and forth between the two. He's saying, hey guys, if you're saved, you're not in the flesh. If you're saved, you're not in the flesh. You're in the spirit. If you're not in the flesh anymore and you're in the spirit, why would you walk after the flesh anymore? Why would you think about it so much? Why would you pursue it so passionately? 
For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. He says, you're not in the flesh, you're in the spirit. How come you don't think about the spiritual things more? How come you don't pursue God more? How come you don't love God more? Verse 2, he says it right there. Look at verse 2. He says, hey, if you've been made free by the spirit, why would you go back into the bondage of the flesh anymore? Why would you do that? He says in verse number six, he says, sin is killing you. Sin is killing you. Carnally minded is death. He's saying if sin was killing you, why would you pursue it any longer? I know it's quiet because sometimes the Holy Spirit has to biff us in the back of the head because we're so dumb. We're just dumb. I'm included. Amen, Brother Pat. Thank you, Brother Pat. I'm right there with you. We're so dumb. God says, I took you out of of Adam. I put you into Christ. You're a spiritual creature now in a spiritual body with a spiritual inheritance. You got this hope and this power. You're not in the flesh anymore. Stop thinking about the pig pen. Stop going after the garbage. Stop stewing around in the vomit. That's what he's saying to you there. That's how you walk different. He's saying walk different. Because you could face some condemnation here. Listen, my son Christian and I, you know what we don't do? We don't, you know, I went yesterday, watched him play basketball last night. I love watching him run, you know, his hair flopping in the wind and him just like cutting somebody up and cooking somebody. I enjoy that. You know what we don't do? We don't sit around and talk about how to give him leukemia again. How could we do this again? Maybe we get you by some radiation. Maybe we can just, you know, how do we mess up your bone marrow again and get a virus in there so you, your blood counts all go spastic again so you get that chemo again and you feel like junk again and your life is in danger again? How do we do that? We don't do that. But Christians do that. How can I get close to the line? How can I taste a little bit more? How can I get a little bit of this? How can I get a little bit of that? You know, we're, we're just like people trying to give ourselves cancer anymore again. He said, that stuff was killing you. I saved it from you. Get away from it. Stay away from it. Walk away from it. And that's not a hard lesson, but we make it hard. Go to Galatians chapter 5. I'm not mad at anybody myself. I'm mad at the guy looking in the mirror every morning who's the biggest idiot I know. And it's me. Nobody's standing behind me. It's me. Galatians 5.16. With this said, look at this. Galatians 5.16. Look what the Bible says. This I say then, Galatians 5.16, walk, that's your second washing, walk, that's your state, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past that they which do such things it's about actions now shall not inherit the kingdom of god he said man you got you you christians got two natures you got a spiritual nature in christ and you're still dragging around this sack of sin and you want to do right and this sack of sin says but i want to do wrong 
You want to go to church, but this sack of sin says, I want to sleep in. You want to go out in public ministry, and your sack of sin says, now I want to go to the game. You want to go do something right for God and stay away from somebody, and this sack of sin says, no, it feels good. Let's just do it one more time. You're saved. What do you want to worry about? Nothing bad is going to happen, right? And you're in a struggle. Anybody else experience that struggle? It's like you have this internal battle going on because the flesh and the spirit are in this tug of war. You say, how do I let one win? The one you starve loses. If you feed that flesh, guess what? That flesh gets big and strong, and it gets a lot harder to resist the next time you're supposed to resist. But you feed that spirit, you pump in that book, you say those prayers, you fellowship with those saints, you get in that discipleship, you plug into God's program, you apply those principles, and you say, not today, flesh, not today, flesh, not today, flesh, not today. You know what happens? It gets easy to say no. And you can resist. The one you feed the most wins. And the one you starve loses. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now watch this next verse. And they that are Christ's, are you Christ's? Have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Does that mean you never sin again after you're saved? No. That is a doctrinal statement. That means as far as God is concerned, your body is dead. Your sinful nature is dead. I nailed it to the cross when I put you into Christ. They that are Christ have, past tense, crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. That's God giving you a doctrinal statement that, guess what? Sin does not have the power over you that it used to have when you were lost. You're different now. You're a new creature now. You're not in the flesh anymore. You're in the spirit. And every time you go back to the flesh, you have to willingly yield to sin. You have to give sin back the power that God broke. You have to willingly put yourself back into bondage, back into the pig pen, back into that place that God saved you out of. That's one amen. Verse 25, here's, the, here's how you know it's not just... Because people read that verse. I had a friend of mine that used to be a friend of mine that said, well, that means when you get saved, you never sin anymore. Really? you got a very low estimation of what sin is. I don't curse, I don't chew, I don't go with girls that do. If you think that sin is just what you drink or how you party, if that's your estimation of sin, you're a Pharisee. Sin is down there with your heart, man, your pride, your malice, your envy, your anger, your lust, your covetousness, all those things that people don't see. Guess what? That's what gives me the trouble. You tell me I don't have to go to the club anymore? Easy. Done. But don't envy your neighbor. Don't hate your brother. Have kindness to your strangers. Guess what? That takes some work. And in verse 25, he says, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit may have changed our position, praise God, but we have to let him change our condition every day. Romans 8 said, if Christ be in you, that you, amen, the body is dead because of sin. It's been nailed to the cross with Christ, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. See that? The Holy Spirit that gave you life wants to direct your life. The Holy Spirit that puts you into Christ wants to perfect your walk with Christ. He wants to do it so badly that he sealed himself inside your body so he could take you all the way to the judgment seat of Christ. So there's not a moment that you don't have his help. There's not a moment that he's not with you. That's how much God's Holy Spirit wants to see you become all that God can make you to be. And if the Holy Spirit has sanctified your soul, 
how do you let God's Holy Spirit sanctify your life? How do we take this doctrine of standing and state and position and condition and bring it down to when tomorrow when you go to work and some guy steps on your proverbial toes, you don't rip his face off like you did when you were unsaved? <laughs> I heard some amens there. Amen, brother. Preach that. <laughs> right? Galatians 2.20 is how. Galatians 2.20. Now, before it said, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh. Now, Paul's going to say it a little differently. He's going to say this. He's going to say, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what he's doing right there? He's making his position personal. He's letting his standing affect his state. God told me, my flesh is crucified. You know what? I am crucified. I want to reach for that? No, no, no. I'm dead. You want me to go? Uh, uh, I'm dead. You want to say that? No, no, no. You're dead. You're dead. You're dead to that. You're dead to that. And you got to talk yourself and apply that stuff to yourself to make what you know doctrinally affect your deeds. You see why it's so important that you need to know what you're supposed to know? Because if you didn't know that, how do you know what you're supposed to do? But when you know what you're supposed to know, then you know what you're supposed to do. I know my flesh is dead, doctrinally. God's broken the power of sin. I don't need to answer that call. I don't need to roll with those peeps anymore. I don't need to have that attitude anymore. I don't have to be the person I was. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Go to Romans chapter 6. I'll show you how knowing things will help you do the right things. Romans chapter 6. Romans 6. I got a few verses left. Stay with me now. Romans 6, verse number 3. Look what it says there. Romans 6, 3. Know ye not, that's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, pay attention. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. God put you on the cross with him. God put you in the ground with him. And God raised you again with him. You're a part of his body. Right? He applied it. Verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. He's saying if you know you're dead with Christ, you have the power to live with him right now. You have the power to live a resurrected life. You have it. It's there. That Holy Spirit gave it to you. You've got to avail yourself to it. Many Christians don't want to avail themselves to it. You know why? Because they like their sin. I like the way it tastes. I like the way it feels. I like what it affords me as a person in society. God says, okay, but that's second washings for disciples. It's for people that want to follow the Nazarene. You see, you get in with the first washing, but if you're serious enough to really want to follow the Savior and have him do something in your life, 
That's what that second washing is about. That's what that practical sanctification is about. You know why you got to realize you're dead? You know what the blessing of being dead is? Dead men don't struggle with sin anymore. <laughs> They're dead. <laughs> you know what you got to do, brethren? Stop digging up a dead man. God says, I killed that guy. Leave him in the ground. Stop digging him up. We get the shovel out. I'm going to show him, you know, prop him up like Joe Biden. I mean, weekend at Bernie's, prop him up. And, you know, we have him say stuff and do stuff like that, right? None. That's what we do, man. We just do that. And we, we're at the party with Weekend at Bernie's, right? And we're moving the dead body and we're having the dead body dance to the music and having the dead body move his mouth. And God says, that thing is dead. Leave it dead. Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. And you got to tell yourself that. Paul did. I am crucified with Christ. I got to take what I know and get it through my thick head. We're not all Italian, but some of us got thick heads like Italians. Romans 15 verse 16. Paul says, I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. You see that? The Holy Spirit sanctified you, past tense, when he saved your soul. But now he wants to sanctify your life. The thing is, you got to let him. you got to give that consent again. you got to let him, folks. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5. We're just a few stops left. Hurry with me now. 1 Thessalonians 5. We doing okay so far? All right. 1 Thessalonians 5. I know it's a lot of information, but it's, it's really what Paul's writings are about. You know, Very little is about salvation. Only a small percentage of the Bible is how to get saved because that's easy. The rest is like how to apply what God did for you and understand what God did to you so you learn and grow in grace and knowledge. And 1 Thessalonians 5. Now, I'm not going to read them all, but in 1 Thessalonians 5, from verse 16 to 22, the Holy Spirit, God, gives you gives believers seven little things to do in your walk with God. Simple little things. And really what God told you to do is very easy. Right? It's little things. Rejoice, pray, give thanks, quench not the spirit, despise not prophesy, prove all things, abstain from all appearance of evil. And then he says in verse 23, this end. Because he's saying, if you'll do those little things that I gave you to do, the God who sanctified your soul will sanctify your life. He says, rejoice, pray, give thanks, quench not, despise not, prove all things, hold fast, abstain. And this culmination of you doing those things for God, here's what God will do for you. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray your whole spirit, I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you'll do those things God tells you to do, That Holy Spirit that saved you will now sanctify your life. Not just your soul. He'll take care of your feet and your hands and your eyes and your family and your body and keep you going the way you're supposed to go. You just got to do those little things God said to do. If you want to be a disciple, if not, we'll have a picnic in May, enjoy a burger. We'll have some fellas eat, come, enjoy. But I'm talking to people that want to be a disciple, that want to go all the way in. And that's who I'm talking to today. The Holy Spirit applies the blood when you believe it to sanctify your soul positionally once. And the Holy Spirit applies the book when you obey it to sanctify your service practically. And that is ongoing. 
every day. Go to Ephesians chapter 5 again. Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> okay, so where do, I, where do I get the washing from now? Okay, Pat, how does it happen? Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. First washing. That he might sanctify and cleanse it. Second washing. With the washing of water by the word. The water to wash your feet comes from the Holy Spirit's words in this book. That's it. Go into the lake and just pondering God's creation. That don't wash your feet. Right? Hanging out with the family and skipping church just so you can go have lunch that day. You know, praise God. It might make you feel good and fill your belly, but it ain't going to wash your feet. God washes your feet when you get around the Bible and have it applied to you. And that's what washes those spots and those wrinkles and all that stuff. But you remember John 13? Where'd Jesus get that water? He poured it out of a vessel. (laughs) If there was no water to pour out of that vessel in John 13, how is Jesus going to wash their feet? And what I'm saying is, the picture is, if you don't let the word of Christ dwell in you, the vessel, how is Jesus Christ ever going to take those verses you've learned, take those things you've heard, and apply them to your life to help wash your feet? you got to get that book in you so God has something to work with and pour out of you when he wants to clean your walk up. It isn't like magical pixie dust. I wish we could get that. I wish we could cut through the religious stuff. Like, if I just go, it would be like, mm-hmm, like something magical is going to happen. The stained glass is going to shine on me. No, it takes what everything in life takes. Time and work. And if you want it, you get it. Right? My kids play basketball. I say it all the time. My daughter's working on post moves. And I said to her the other day, you see how much work these guys put in? We think they just bounce, right? We think they just bounce a ball and they throw it. No, man. They're working on their drop step. They're working on turning and facing up. They're working on what to do with this guy. And I got to work the angles this way. You know what that takes? Time and work. You know why? Because they want it. They want to win. And if a Christian wants victory, it's going to take time and work. You know, what do I do if this happens? And what do I do if that happens? And how do I work the angles and see the devil coming this way? What do I do when that happens? Right? That's time and work. And the people that want it because they want the victory will get it. And the people that don't will complain. That's about it. It's not... Not talking about positional sanctification now, folks. We're talking practical sanctification. We're not talking about the saving of your soul now. We're talking about the saving of your life. We're not talking about getting set apart from Adam. We're talking about getting set apart so you can serve. That's what a disciple's all about. Go to John 17, would you? Go on, John 17. (sighs) Making any sense? All right. What new thing is this that you bring to our ears? John 17. Here's Jesus Christ. Would you like to hear one of Jesus Christ's last prayers on earth? Right? I can't hear what he's praying in heaven. But these were his last words of his high priestly prayer on earth before he was crucified. And he says in John 17, 17, he's praying about his disciples. He's praying about you. He says, Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus Christ's last earthly prayer was for God to sanctify his disciples with God's word. Are you Jesus Christ's disciple? Has the blood of Christ washed all your sins away? Are you then going to resist Christ's prayer to wash your feet with the book God gave you? 
You're going to resist the prayer that, God, that Christ prayed for you before he was delivered up? Don't you want to make that happen? Don't you want to like facilitate that and say, Lord, that's what you want? Let me let you have it. Let me pump that book into myself so you have something to work with. You see, your first washing is supposed to provoke your second washing. Your standing that you got is supposed to provoke your state to change. Somebody put it this way. Maybe this metaphor will bring it all together for you. The present king of Spain is a little child, presumably as willful and as ignorant as other little children. Sometimes he may be very obedient and teachable and affectionate, and then he is happy and approved. At other times, he may be unruly, self-willed, and disobedient, and then he is unhappy and perhaps even chastised. But he is just as much king on the one day as the other. It may be hoped that as time goes on, he will learn to bring himself into willing and affectionate subjection to every right way, and then he will be more kingly, but not any more really king. He was born a king. And in the case of every true son of the king of kings and lord of lords, that's you, this growth into kingliness is assured. In the end, standing and state, character and position will be equal. But the position is not the reward of perfected character. The character is developed from the position. You got that? You're a king. You were born again. You're a child of God. That truth is supposed to change your character. And one day, God's going to finish the change. You see, because one day, whether you go kicking and screaming, Christ's prayer back there in the garden, it's going to be answered. God's going to sanctify you holy one day. You can get in on it now, but one day, God's going to sanctify you holy. You see, if you're saved, you got positional sanctification by receiving the Savior. Amen? Right. To be a disciple, you get practical sanctification by reckoning those scriptures, reckoning those scriptures, applying them to your life. But brother, sister, the body of Christ gets ultimate sanctification when God raptures his sons. And one day, God's going to conform you to the image of Christ. He's going to drop that sin sack on the ground. You're never going to have to pick it up again. And one day, you're going to be up there in heaven, forever separated unto God and sanctified from this wicked world forevermore. He's going to sanctify them through his truth. You could get in on it now and get rewarded later or wait till the trumpet sounds and have a shock of your life as you're spinning up there through the heavens. 1 John 3. Hurry with me. Just three quick stops left. Maybe four. 1 John 3. Can I just challenge you now a little bit? We're going to close with these thoughts here. Don't, don't zip up yet your Bible. Don't check out on me just yet. But 1 John 3 says this. Would you let that standing what God gave you as a gift change the way you work for him and live for him and walk for him? 1 John chapter 3 says this. Beloved, verse 1, what manner of love, behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God? Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Ultimate sanctification. For we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, 
even as he is pure. Can I ask you this? Are you letting God's love that made the way for you to be a son purify your walk? God, you made me a son? Wow. I should maybe, I'm, as Pastor Mel said, I'm the aristocracy of heaven. I'm a king and a priest of the most high God. I'm a nobody at work. I'm a laughing stock. Maybe among my neighbors, I'm a this, I'm a that. The world doesn't know me. The president doesn't care about me. The people that I follow on social media couldn't give two flips if I lived or died. But you made me a son? Wow, I should maybe figure out who you are and what kind of son I should be. How about 2 Corinthians chapter 6? How about this about being a son? Does being a son make you want to walk differently? How about this? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 17. The Lord just talked about not being equally yoked with unbelievers, not having fellowship with unrighteousness, not communing with light, communing with darkness, not messing with the devil if you've been with Christ, not being what part of he that believeth with an infidel, what agreement at the temple of God with idols, verse 16. He says, you're the temple of the living God, for as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And then God says, hey, wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Can I ask you this question? Does the fact that the Spirit of God separated you from this wicked world make you want to be separate? Yeah, you look at this world. This world's like a freight train on fire going off a cliff. And you were on that train, and God said, get off right here, get off right here. I'll get you out of here right here. I'm going to put you on the train going to glory land. And you see that train going off the cliff. You read the pages of your Bible, how that train's going to go off a cliff. You read Revelation 18, Revelation 19, when God's just going to crush it and topple it and destroy it and bury it and judge it and let all that anger fall upon it. And God took you out of that and separated you out of that. And you're like, wow, Lord, I was appointed unto death. I was going to face hell and high water, and you saved me out of that. Man, maybe I should just... Be separate. <laughs> Maybe that should change the way I act and what I join myself up to. Maybe I shouldn't be hooking up with the devil like this. Maybe I shouldn't be rolling with unbelievers like this. Maybe I shouldn't be having fellowship with unrighteousness because all that stuff was destined to burn and pillage and face God's judgment. Wow, maybe I should be different. Amen. How about 2 Timothy chapter 2? 2 Timothy chapter 2. You see how you got to let the standing affect your state? Let your position change your condition. And God spends a lot of time telling you who you are in Christ so that you start being who you're supposed to be in Christ. See? He spends a lot of his New Testament Pauline epistles telling you, you're sealed, you're this, you're conformed, I'm doing this, you got this, I did this operation, you're this, you got this. He's telling you all this stuff. So you'll step back and go, whoa, that's pretty wild, Lord. I can't quite live the same now. My wife had that shoulder surgery. Went in there, did this, did that, did this. You know what the guy said to, said to her this week? The therapist said, I have never seen someone respond so well in my entire career. 99.9% of people should not be able to do what you're doing right now. Now, that's the grace of God in your prayer. Thank you. But you know what? Let's just tie that to the spiritual life now, right? The great physician went in there and did stuff that you shouldn't be able to do now. Vic- victory? Joy? Understanding? discernment, peace, life, happiness, fulfillment, satisfaction, truth, substance, meaning, eternity. I shouldn't understand these things, Lord. I shouldn't enjoy these things, Lord. And you let me move like that. How can I not walk differently? You did all that for this little speck. You did all that for me. 
can move like that now? And I couldn't move like that before. Second Timothy chapter 2 says this in verse 15. It says, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house... There are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. You have a choice what kind of vessel you want to be in God's house. 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these, the things that dishonor God, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified. That doesn't mean salvation. That's the second sanctification. Now you're set apart. You're cleaned up and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. My last question is, does the work God did for you make you want to do any work for him? Lord, you did all this thing. You were working this all out. You worked out circumstances. You worked out time and eternity. You had my path cross this guy. What you did in the etern- what you did in the past, what you did in the present, what you're going to do in the future. You're working all those things after the counsel of your own will. Doesn't that move you to say, I could give a little bit of my time. I could get a little bit of my energy. I could give a little bit of my talents. I give a little bit. Oh, you're such a brick that you don't have the gratitude to give out anything. How could we be so ungrateful? Somebody has a nice job. Oh, thank you so much. What they do? They open the door for you. Oh, thank you so much. That was so nice. They give you a Christmas present. Oh, thank you so much. That was so kind of you. Oh, you know, somebody blessed us this week with a gift. I was so thankful. You know, we'll be so, and it's good to be thankful. But God did all this, and you can't be thankful enough to say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Why do we sit like lumps on a log, like bumps in a pew? And just sitting there waiting for the Holy Spirit to run a tornado through our life before we maybe think about doing something differently for God. Hey, get in now. Are you getting the picture, Christian? You see what it means to be a disciple? Finish in John 17. I'm going to close with these verses here. That's what it means to be a disciple. And this is all about disciples. John 17. If you want to follow Jesus Christ to be his disciple, you need both sanctifications. The first one you need to get you saved. The second one to help you serve. That's what disciples are supposed to do, by the way. They're supposed to follow. They're supposed to serve. Are you? Do you want to? doesn't mean you have to be a pastor. Serve as a dad. Serve as a mom. Serve as a sister. Serve as a brother or sister in Christ. Serve as an aunt. Serve as a guy on the street handed out tracts. I don't know what your service is. We got this crazy notion that only the guy up there behind the block of wood is the servant. No, that's, that's dumb. That's, that's religion. That's not Bible. You're all disciples. You should be aspiring to be. You say, why should somebody sanctify themselves even though Christ has saved them? Well, 17 gives you the illustration and it's in your Savior. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And watch this. And for their sakes... I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified.
through the truth. Was Jesus Christ the Son of God? Yes. Yes. Right? Nothing he was going to do to change that. But he set himself apart so that he could serve his Father. And he sanctified himself, not to become a son, but he sanctified himself so that he could bless somebody else and bring glory to God. He sanctified himself with that second sanctification, so to speak, so that he could serve God. Verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. That's you. Hey, are you a son of God today? If you're saved, you're a son of God. Washing your feet doesn't make you a son of God. You were saved by the blood of Jesus Christ the moment you believed. That's when God set you apart to be his son. The challenge is, are you willing to sanctify yourself now and partake of that second washing and that second sanctification, not to become a son, but that you might serve, that you might follow, that you might be that disciple that brings glory to God and blesses somebody else. That's what the second washing is about. That's why it's for disciples in the upper room. Let's stand for prayer. Let's bow our heads and stand for prayer.